First, we call it sustainable finance, impact finance. I think now we're heading to transformative finance, so more radical choices. For me, I, I always talk about post-growth. Our economies are related to growth, but that does not translate into prosperity for the ordinary people. That's what we see every day. Hello, and welcome to The Purpose Pod. I'm your host, Richard Milan, Head of Impact at Investing for Purpose. We connect impact investors with purposeful companies in need of growth capital. In this podcast, we share personal and professional stories from impact leaders from across the world as we aim for a more equitable and purposeful future in which everybody has the chance to thrive. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Hans Stechmann, Chief Economist and Group Director of Impact and Economics at Triodos Bank. Hans, welcome. Thanks for having me. So let's start off, Hans, with a bit about your current role, what you do, the top line of, of how Jordas Bank operates, and what you do differently. And, the, and you want it very shortly, of course. Sure. <laughs> uh, let's, let's first start by myself. Um, Chief Economist at Triodos Bank and Director of Impact and Economics, which is a double role, um, which you don't find that often at many banks. My reason to, to want that role or make sure that role was created was that I think as a chief economist, you normally have an outside role and saying what's wrong in the world and how it should be changed. Uh, I also want it to translate it internally. So that's the impact part. So that's why my department is called Impact and Economics. So to drive the impact strategy uh, at Triodos Bank. Um, and now about a little bit about Triodos Bank. We exist for over 40 years in five countries. We have a, a, a banking service, European countries, and we have an asset manager doing both listed and private debt and equity. And all we do starts and ends with a positive impact. Thank you. So tell us about your career, how you arrived um, into impact finance. Yeah, that's a longer story. Um, my first job was as a, at a labor union a long time ago. I uh, studied economics and, uh, and then and I was a member of the student union. I experienced that that a union is not for radical change or something. It's about incumbents trying to keep, the, keep their rights, which is also important, but not my place to be when you're 25 years old. So then I went to, uh, to research the government body for, for nine years, doing a lot of economics, modeling, etc. And then I went to a bank, to Rabobank, still doing nothing with uh, sustainability or investing or whatever. And being there also at the economics department um, and also at the last part as a chief economist. Um, but reality changed, of course. And also what we were studying as economists and trying to understand what was happening in the world changed dramatically, at least in my experience and what I was reading and, and seeing and talking. So that uh, almost seven years ago made me to move to uh, Triodos, then Triodos Investment Management, so the, the, the asset manager. And instead of only studying what was going on in the world, trying to also do something, and that was impact investing, doing new strategies, and that kind of stuff. Mm. Have you always felt a sense of purpose, even before studies, before going out into the world? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's the way I was raised. <laughs> Uh, what I got from my parents uh, and my grandparents in, in terms of values. I think it was more on the social side. So my grandfather being very active in politics, uh, socialists, of course. And that's also why I started at the union, I think, uh, looking back. And I studied economics and was most in interested in, in, in labor markets and how that worked. And so the, the ecological side of it, that came much later, to be honest. 
when you see, when you clearly see, and I think I, I cannot understand that people don't see it, that <laughs> this is disastrous what's happening in the world. And I thought the, the report of the, the UN just in the run-up to the COP28, the title is great, it's a broken record. And, and I feel quite often that we have a broken record, but still nothing is happening. And that drives me at this moment quite a lot. That, that Yes, you want to explain what is broken in this economy and that we have some perceptions of what is normal, which is not normal. And I think that's what you can do with impact investing, but also by really trying to address the root causes of the troubles or the problems in our system and discuss them and invest them and trying to do it differently. Okay. And on that note, so the Trillis Bank, the foundation, the mission, the philosophy, tell us a bit about the background to how it was formed. Yeah. Um, now you test me if I know it by heart, of course. Um, Triodos was founded, founded in 1980. It was first a foundation and then it got a banking license uh, in the Netherlands first. Um, and Triodos is uh, three holders or this threefold way. Uh, you can also relate it to the, 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 the slogan of the, the French Revolution, uh, but you can also relate it to triple bottom line. Um, but the idea was from the start that it should be about sustainable finance. Uh, one of the slogans we use is finance change, change finance um, from within the financial sector. That's a deliberate choice to create something new, to show that you can make different choices. So we started as a bank, like I said, in the Netherlands. Then we moved to Belgium, the UK, Germany, Spain. And then we had an asset manager. We started with microfinance in the 90s. We were one of the first ones in the end of the 90s to have also listed funds, sustainable funds. And that's what we have done over all these, these years, being a pioneer in, first we call it sustainable finance, impact finance. I think now we're heading to transformative finance, so more radical choices that have to be made. And our role is to be a pioneer in that. Just to step back and to compare ESG with impact investing, can you give us your take on the differences? Oh yeah, this is a nice discussion. I think ESG, so environmental social governance, has become a data industry and has become nothing else than uh, risk assessments and has nothing to do with sustainable finance or transitions or whatever. And I always think when you see such funds, uh, uh, so let's not forget, in sustainable finance, the largest part is listed ESG funds. So more than 50% of, so the bulk of what we call sustainable finance is, is ESG. And it's mostly risk integration. Sometimes it's, um, it's selection, but it's a very small part of it. And hopefully, but not always, it helps to mitigate risks but the wrong risks, because it's only about the risks for the investor and not for our world. Because you look, uh, so if you do ESG integration, you look at the material risks for your investments that come from ESG. While it should be the other way around, what can you create as an investor to mitigate risk for our future? And I think that is completely wrong in ESG, and it is data-driven. There are a lot of problems with data, but I think the most important problem is that we tell clients that it has to lead to a better world and it essentially does nothing. So I'm not so positive about ESG and how the industry has become. 
not to forget, like, like I said, in the 90s, we started also a listed fund. And we did a kind of ESG, although there was no data. <laughs> so what we did is calling our colleagues, ethical banks from all over Europe. What do you think about this company? Is it sustainable or not? And how, what does it do exactly? Um, and I think that would have been the best way to still do it. So getting a judgment of someone you can trust about a company and then say, okay, this is good or this is not good. Um, but it has become something completely different. Uh, so th this is ESG. Impact investing is different, but there are also different flavors of impact investing. <laughs> I think most impact investors start with the idea, I want to put my money in something that helps to make the world in some sense a better place, social, ecologically, whatever. And I understand what I'm doing there. I have additionality with my money. I see what we create, sometimes not expressed in numbers, but I think I'm doing something good. And it, that is the way it should be. But also impact investing has a challenge to become also a number game. We have to report more and more, which makes everything what is important but not can be expressed in numbers not so important anymore. So we tend to forget it. And it also leads, and I think most impact investors know, you also need the money, so also you, you have to make a certain return to get it done, and it compromises sometimes with the impact you want, or quite often, to be honest, with the impact you want to make. Because there's also listed impact investing now, and it's also becoming more an, a, a data game and more regulated, and how to keep it away from impact washing like ESG washing is mainstream, how to be genuine in what you do, what you want to achieve, that the story is right, that the impact is right, and that you also understand what you're doing. So there's a sense of needing to protect that sort of corner of the field that is, that is impact. Definitely. Should we start with your uh, individual customers? Give us a flavor of, of how many you have, assets under, under management, and, and how you tie impact into those customers. Yeah, uh, we have 750,000 uh, retail customers all over Europe, mostly. So we have uh, retail banking, business banking. Um, so we are a normal bank, I would say, where we have the savings that we're using mostly on the business banking side, also mortgages in the Netherlands. And what we always try to do is being as transparent as possible to show our clients what we do with their money. So what we did, for example, in the Netherlands a few weeks ago, that we said, if you want to be sure that your money, your savings account is fossil free, you can give it to us because we never will finance any fossil, uh, fossil fuel companies, uh, production and etc. So of course we have uh, entrepreneurs who drive a, a diesel car or whatever, uh, but, but not production uh, and distribution. So transparency is key. If we finance in business banking, we start with impact, trying to understand and we trying to advance that a little from saying what is good now to what is good for the future, which gives a, a, a different lens um, because you then need to understand how it relates to a transition you envision, which is quite vague, but it, to make it very practical to say, and we are still in discussion about it, so let's be clear. So we, we do organic farming, and there's also milk. So we finance cattle. If you know you need uh, a transition towards more vegetarian 
without saying that 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 cattle and milk is no longer possible but if you if you have just your money and try to make the most impact on a transition you might say even if organic farming is better than conventional farming for the environment it's still cattle it's methane it's emissions in a transition would it not be better to do something else to find something else so we're now discussing that kind of thing so even if it's impact in the here and now and if it's and it is necessary and we like our customers and our clients should we not make different choices so that's kind of discussions we have there and then in our impacts or asset manager we have uh, listed uh, we call it impact and i think that's what we do but i think we do two things there so we have equity and uh, two equity funds and, uh, and a bond fund and a mixed fund I think the most important contribution is not our capital allocation, but how we sh- try to shift norms by excluding uh, fossil fuels, like I already said, but also by excluding, for example, fast fashion. We only want to put our money in things, also on the listed side, where at least we can understand what the company is doing and how it has positive impact. Although it's always more difficult on the listed side because they're big and part of the current uh, economic setup, but at least you have a corner there where you can do stuff. So one thing is norm setting, other thing is engagement, raising our voice on things um, to that companies. But we're small, so don't overestimate your impact. But I think that's what we do there. And, and maybe norm setting is most important. Capital allocation is not important there. That's completely different on our non-listed side. So private debt equity funds, uh, we do microfinance, um, we have uh, energy transition fund, we have a food transition fund. So in total, we have, I don't know, the last numbers, I think 5.5 billion in the asset manager and 17 billion in our bank balance sheet. But don't quote me on the numbers because I don't know exactly. (laughs) Um, So that makes us uh, what we call a mid-sized European bank. Very small compared to the biggest banks. We have loyal customers uh, that expect from us that that all we do is impact. That's, That's what we do. I was going to ask you about that. So where does the sort of positive pressure come from among your customers, investors and so on to to illustrate and keep on top of your impact? I guess you're doing that anyway. But have you noticed that and among the customers, obviously, they make a choice. Is there a pressure group you know, there that's, that's active? They expect us to do it. And what we did over the years was showing it, like I said, being very transparent. So uh, we have also a, a web page where, where your money goes. So we show where your money goes. Also, sharing with them the stories of our uh, business banking clients and what they do, they really appreciate it. But of course, institution, more institutional parties want more data. They want the numbers. So we're also working on that, also showing it in our impact reports, what we do. And there you see more pressure coming from an industry that expects a lot on reporting. And for me, reporting is completely unimportant as long as you manage your impact. So impact reporting should be a means for managing your impact. And what you see for the most financial players that impact reporting is the end point and then nothing happens. Only the cycle starts a year later and then we'll see what what impact we have. So there's no almost no strategy on managing impact most of the times. Well, it's only impact report. That's very interesting. So, so okay, let's talk about the, the frequency debate, first of all. I mean, our, my take is always, let's look at one, three, five year, look at long term, essentially. Yep. Not least to, to, to free up the, the enterprise just to get on with the, with the work. But because, you know, these things take time. So, so what, what's your experience of that in terms of the reporting frequency? And then we'll come on to the actual management. On the listed side, you have to do a list, uh, monthly reporting. And then you have your, your fact sheet, and then they also want to have impact numbers in, although they don't change. 
So uh, fine. So just just give the same numbers, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Or or uh, sometimes it, it changes if your portfolio changes, and uh, of course then you can show something differently. Mm-hmm. Um, on the non-listed sites, it's it is annually because you you cannot ask uh, your clients to give all that. That's impossible. And on the banking side, it's also annually that that we report to to really create impact in your clients and see improvements there is like you said it's, it's, uh, three to five years would be better to say okay but this is what we have achieved for the rest it's it's only changes in the portfolio composition i think almost what you report that's not that interesting so on on the on the impact management side um and, and also the, like you said the qualitative in, you know step changes and so on tell us how, how you approach that is it more about storytelling and more about showing the differences that aren't numerical necessarily I think it is everything in the end, uh, also given regulations. To be honest, I think we report some numbers that are completely not meaningful, but we have to or clients expect them. And part of what everybody puts in an impact report, if if we are honest, is not impact, is sometimes being less unsustainable than others. So you can hardly call it positive impact. You can call it marginally positive impact compared to others. Carbon footprint is the most obvious example. If you have a, a, a lower carbon footprint in your fund than another fund, it doesn't tell anything about what you do good. Because, especially on the listed side, most funds with a lower carbon footprint have a lot of tech and financials in it with a low carbon footprint, but they don't even invest in solutions for the energy transition. So what are you reporting then? So the, the, so part of it is not meaningful. Uh, part of it is is... Outcome, a lot of it is outcome, but we're still working on it. Uh, we did not find a silver bullet up till now. But what I'm really looking for is meaningful indicators that show what you do in a transition. You can say we're investing in electrical vehicles, but that's halfway the, the, the transition, the mobility transition. You should probably invest in bicycles, public transport, and other stuff. So if you have that narrative, that vision on how a transition should go, then you can think in your investment ideas, where should I step in? And maybe you need sometimes that bridge, so you can invest in electrical vehicles, but you have to understand, we need an exit strategy. This is temporarily because we have to move on. And sometimes you can start at the end and say, okay, we have to scale this up and we see profitable opportunities to invest in to help that transition. And if you build indicators like that, so this is number five in a transition, then it gets more meaningful. Interesting. And that maybe implies uh, on a larger scale public-private partnerships and working obviously with, with government more, more directly. Yeah. So on that note, what kind of clever instruments are you excited about now? I don't know whether it's outcomes-based funds or tying in the public sector as well. Yeah, maybe maybe to add to that, uh, also looking back, uh, that's what we did to understand what we have to do. We looked back at 40 years triodos and what we did in the energy transition, especially in the UK and in the Netherlands. We were the first ones to, oh, no, one of the first to, to uh, experiment with solar panels and wind turbines. And we tried to understand what, what have we done to get there? Uh, and of course, it was just <laughs> muddling through most of it, but unconsciously what we did was also engaging with governments trying to change the rules or set up structures to make it easier so so tax redemptions or or whatever to make it easier to to finance those that stuff 
And I think also looking forward, um, that's what we should do. So really engage with policymakers, and not only in the financial sector, but also beyond the financial sector to get that room. Partnering up with everybody who's relevant. And then, of course, public finance, blended finance will really help, but should not be the, the objective in itself. So you really have to understand, okay, this is what we want to do. Which partner comes along? <laughs> and how can, we pl- how can we use it to, to, to move this further? Mm. Not to forget, an important part of the story is not what you can do, but how you get the money. So how can you also seduce the investors to step into that story, maybe have a little bit de-risking from, uh, from public finance, and, and then try to scale up? Mm. And that, that means that you need to have that compelling story to attract the investors. But the problem is never good ideas. There are so many entrepreneurs with good ideas. The problem is always their risk return profile, their track records, the scalability, etc. Uh, we all know it, I think. But it starts for a financial institution, for an impact investor, it starts with understanding how you can tell the story to both sides. So to the investor, to the public, to the, um, to the policy makers, and then help the entrepreneur with uh, with investing in it. So just on on that as well. So from investors, institutional investors, how do you think we can accelerate that that reinterpretation of value? You know, internal rates of return, external rates of return. What what is the what's the roadmap? Oh yeah, uh, if I would know that <laughs> now. One one of the things I write currently a lot about is about post growth and degrowth and that kind of uh, discussion. Which completely relates to this. So we have on the macro, I'm a macroeconomist, the discussion on can this expanding system grow even further. On the micro level, it's can we make profit forever? On what is the basis for our return? And I think we have to accept if we take all the other values into account that we extract those other values in the financial system. That's the way we make that higher return. If we are able, and, and this is also the mind shift that we need, so there's no, there's no silver bullet also here. If we make the calculations and, and see if we make an impact-adjusted return, so we take all the other values, take them into account, and most of the time subtra- subtract them from the financial value, then we get all over the place lower returns. So investors in the end have to accept that the impact-adjusted return in general is lower and it's even negative if you do mainstream stuff. That discussion needs regulation. So it needs transparency, it needs reporting requirements, but in the end it's of course common sense that you should not do something with a negative integrated return. That's extractive. I mean, it uh, connects to the different forms of capital yep. and the fact that natural yep. capital is the one yep. that's consistently being also eroded. Also, also uh, human capital is, is social capital. Uh, it's, it's also most of the times relatively negative. I'm a little bit in doubt if you should calculate it and put it all together because you can also say if it's really negative, you just should not do it, whatever the financial gain you, you create from it. But it would really help in terms of language, you say, if you, if you make it uh, so that impact-weighted accounts, uh, that, that's a way to do it. So take all those different capitals and, and put them together. That's also what we tried to do, what we also did for our whole uh, bank. So we made impact-adjusted returns for all the financial instruments we have. And what we see, to be very honest, is that even if you do this in the most ethical way, like we do, most of the returns are not that positive. 
the impact adjusted returns. Yeah, I think we make some. We did not publish it yet. We are still in discussion. <laughs> but even if we have troubles, and we of course we miss a lot of data, but what we can do, we sh we see that the impact adjusted return is sometimes marginally higher than our financial return, but also sometimes lower. Then I think for the most of mainstream finance, it will be very negative. That would be an interesting discussion because then clients can understand, okay, I think I'm using my money in such a way that it helps to do something sustainable, like we discussed in an ESG fund. But if I calculate what value it creates, it's negative. Can someone explain this? That would be a great discussion. Mm. I guess that's the price of being in, in this exploratory space, being brave enough to, to be trying to figure out the solutions when there aren't any. And, and that we hope will just form over time. Yeah, but that, that is so necessary, especially in finance. The same with what I talked about, but also impact investing. When it becomes mainstream, it doesn't have any additional value. And people tend to forget it because impact investing is now also a big industry. And what is it really adding to a transition then? So asking that question also, if you're listening and you are an impact investor, ask yourself... Is this really helping whatever transition? Or am I in it only for a nice return for myself? Which is no problem, but then you also have to be honest. What keeps you awake at night at the moment? Oh, at the moment, uh, the, the elections in the Netherlands. It's very fresh, at least in my, <laughs> in my memory. And it doesn't matter if it's in the Netherlands, because you, we see it happening in almost every country. We see polarization. And, and what's keeping me awake at night is that, yes, I have some f firm convictions about what is wrong in the world and what should happen, but I see that a lot of people do not buy into that story. And that is a problem, not for them, but for me or for us. Because if we firmly believe that the world has to change fundamentally and a lot of people don't want it to, then we are not able, probably not able to explain that in the right way or to make a compelling story for them to also join. And that keeps me awake at night, yeah. So it's that polarization, populism and post-truth sort of holy trinity. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is terrifying, yeah. Okay, on the flip side, what gives you the most joy in life? Oh, there's a lot of joy, <laughs> happily. Um, from, from my kids to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, to just go uh, go swimming or something, or um, yeah, so so private things, but also in work, I have fabulous conversations with a lot of people about not only about problems, but also about solutions, visions, creative stuff. Uh, don't forget art as a source of inspiration. Yeah, there, there's so much beautiful stuff in this world, and the the world of impact. How do you find the people in this sector and what would you do to encourage others who haven't explored it to, to get involved? There are so many different people also in this sector. I think there are a lot of entrepreneurial people who really want to do the good thing with a lot of energy. I think that's what you need definitely in the sector to have stamina to get somewhere. And what I would wish for if other people want to join Impact, um, we need so much creativity. It's not about money. We need creativity, creativity in thinking and creating and doing different crazy stuff. So creativity uh, and also courage to, to just do something differently. 
that's what I would wish for, that people would join the sector. Mm. So, so back at the start, you talked about the, the, the good old days, let's say, of it being about trusting people, you know, more, more face-to-face, more, more kind of connected. So is it, is it a question of trying to facilitate that connectedness at scale somehow? Yeah, it partly is. Because, because if we connect people, we understand better what we, do, what we are doing, what we are creating, or what we are destroying. And I think that's, if we really understand it, I think people would stop buying fast fashion, for instance. So, so I'm going to bring up the AI word. Does that, does that give you hope if, it's, if it goes the right way? If it goes the right way, it can help in the sense that we understand better how things can play out. So how, if we do an impact investment, what the effects are. I'm also hesitant because it, it has the tendency of being a complete black box. It starts with what we put into it, and that's, like we discussed, not always the best measures for everything. And I'm mostly afraid of, in a few years, that we have a lot of AI results come out, what we put in it as humans, and then we have synthetic AI, which creates something completely different. And I doubt if it helps us. And I'm also a little bit afraid that this is, again, a new technology which gives power into the hands of a few very big, large companies. And that makes it challenging. Also for impact investors that want to use AI, who are you collaborating with? Or are you becoming dependent on someone who, who determines the rules of the game? I think that's, at this moment, is, is very important to discuss this. Okay. So you talked about the, the kind of leverage that Triodos has um, in terms of where, where you put your money or where you put your investors' money. Is, is there a gang of similar institutions that can kind of club together to create more of a force? Yeah, we were one of the founders of the uh, Global Alliance on Banking on Values, so that are the, the, the ethical banks in the world, uh, now over 70. We're also one of the first ones to join the, the GIN, so the Global Impact Investing Network. So you need this kind of collaborations in the field to get somewhere, and what we do quite often is if we are in, for instance, take the, the Net Zero Banking Alliance, which is big uh, pledge from, from major financial institutions to, uh, to say that they will contribute to Net Zero in 2050. What we try to do is collaborate with like-minded parties there, because we're still in, to, to a little bit move the needle. Uh, so also, and that's also what we do, relate to mainstream finance because we can say, oh, we're better and we know it. that's not helping. We also have to engage with mainstream parties, met normal banks, where also normal people work, who most of the time also do want to do the right stuff, to, to also collaborate and give them ideas how to do it. So it's an, it would be very bad if we only would hook up with like-minded, yes, we do it, to, 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 to get somewhere to to lobby on like-minded topics, but we also have to relate to the rest of the sector and try to, uh, to have people. It's not about, only about institutions, but it's also about people. How, how can we help people there who also want to do the right stuff to, uh, to enable them to do that? So just, we talked about um, slow growth, degrowth earlier. I feel like just trying to go, go around that one more time. What could it look like? You know, how much is enough? Yeah, that's, that's a very relevant question. Um, for me, I, I always talk about post-growth 
because we have, like I said, a growth-dependent system, and we have to discuss it for two reasons. The first one is, in advanced economies, the economy is no longer growing so much because of aging, because of uh, productivity increases that don't, do not come. So we have very meager growth or even no growth. The other one, and it's quite obvious, is the ecological destruction, which is completely linked to growth, and there's no innovation no proven innovation that can solve that. So we have to discuss it. And there's a reason why it's for advanced economies not a problem, because our well-being is not re related to material prosperity. Our economies are related to growth, uh, but that does not translate into prosperity for the ordinary people. That's what we see every day. So if we discuss this, then we discuss de facto an economy that is more equitable, that is more safe, in a sense, that is less driven by more consumption, more material consumption, but more by solidarity. So it's also uh, that mental part, and it makes it always difficult to say, okay, this is about also how we mentally construct progress is often defined materially, so in terms of economic growth or profit. But if you make your system less growth-dependent or your companies or your investments less return and profit dependent it's not so difficult to do it differently and it's not that we don't have investments so we have also sectors that needs to thrive that needs to grow fantastic uh, investing opportunities but we also have to be honest a big part of our economy needs to uh, phase out need to stop because it doesn't make ourselves happier and makes our planet worse and that's for me degrowth. So it's a more nuanced story that you say, yeah, and we still have a market economy, we still have a financial sector, which is probably smaller, connected to the real economy. So we must understand what our money does. Less leveraged, because leverage and debt is a claim on future growth. So we need to stop that a little. Um, but still, it's a market economy. And still, we can have uh, growth, even profit growth. But on a macro level, yes, things need to change. So much food for thought, Hans. Perhaps that's a good, good point to end on. Thank you so much for your time and insights. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. For more about Hans Stechmann and Triodos Bank, please see the show notes below. We'll add as much as we can. If you're enjoying the Purpose Pod, please like, subscribe and share. If you have any comments or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear covered, please email me, richard, at investing-for-purpose.com. We'll look forward to welcoming you again next time. Meanwhile, as ever, we'll leave you with the final word from our guest. Use your money consciously.